Hi, I'm Mark Reed. Follow me as I attempt to put my new book, Impact Culture, into practice and discuss it with others taking a similar journey. You'll get tips that will help you achieve more impact from your research and stay healthy, no matter how busy you are. Rediscover your purpose. Lead from behind to empower those around you. Transform your work culture. Welcome to Season 4 of the Fast Track Impact Podcast. This week we are talking about normalising failure. We're thinking about this in the context of our work. I'll be thinking specifically about this in relation to field work, but I think this goes much broader. Uh, we'll be drawing in this case from a paper, and I am very fortunate to have two of the co-authors here with me today. We've got uh, Ruby Anand Jones from the Fenner School of Environment and Society at Australian National University, and Paris Tui from the Australian National Centre for the Public Awareness of Science at the Australian National University. Now, I'll come to, to, to both of you in, in, uh, in a moment, but uh, the reason that this really caught my eye um, is not only that I've, I've worked with um, one of your co-authors, uh, Chris uh, Svitanovich, for a number of years, um, so that kind of popped up in my alerts uh, instantly, but this is something that I've been thinking about um, for, for a long time, um, and I wrote about in my last book, Impact Culture, because I think it's really important to, to not only talk about failure and normalise this because it is normal uh, and it's difficult. But the more we talk about it, the more we realise that we're not alone, that we all experience academic failure, fieldwork fails, uh, you name it. And to create the kinds of compassionate cultures that I believe are necessary at the heart of a healthy impact culture. This is one of the first steps, is understanding that, yeah, we're all, we're all in this together. This is a challenge, uh, and we can help each other. I remember, uh, compassion, by definition, is impact, uh, in the sense that compassion is uh, appreciating who this other person might be, what situation they're in, imaginatively taking that step of empathy, and then, based on what we learn, taking action. And of course, uh, there are people around us that we can empathize with, who we can help, who we can take action to help, um, whether that's to recover from failure or to avoid failure, because we've learned from our mistakes, and maybe there's something that we can share as a result of that. And in this paper, it is rich with uh, lessons. But if you listened to my episode a few weeks ago on why we are made with mistakes, I think this can go deeper in terms of who we are as people, understanding uh, fundamentally uh, who we are, what has made us, um, and that idea that, yeah, I've made it, and that, yeah, I, I've made it because of those mistakes, uh, and uh, and that path to whatever, whatever it is, uh, wherever I am, where I feel like I've made it, is paved with mistake after mistake that has actually created the person I am, the skills I have, and uh, and what I can now do. So 
Uh, I'm going to start, if I may, with uh, with Ruby. So, um, Ruby, introduce yourself and um, perhaps tell us a, a little bit uh, about why you uh, why you came to this uh, this this paper. Uh, I'll come to you, Paris, as well. I'd like to hear a bit more about your story um, uh, in terms of the paper itself. Uh, this is a paper about participatory research, and I think anyone who does participatory research will know how often things go wrong. Um, but uh, tell us a little bit about the fieldwork fail um, and and why you decided to write this up as a paper. Uh, so Ruby, over to you. Um, sure. Yeah. So I'm Ruby. Uh, I'm an early career researcher working in environmental social science. I have a background in coastal ecosystem geography um, and had spent two years working in a government agency for international fisheries research. So came to this project as uh, not my first, but one of my very early experiences doing fieldwork and certainly my first domestic um, Australian uh, experience doing fieldwork. So uh, definitely went in with lots of enthusiasm, but also not really knowing exactly what to expect. Um, and yeah, came to this paper after um, heading into a remote Australian community um, with a four-person research team. We were doing research on climate adaptation interventions um, and doing some surveys to measure community acceptability, um, which is when things went a little bit wrong um, and we couldn't get the survey responses that we wanted, unfortunately. Um, so we kind of had to reassess. We were in this remote location um, and didn't really know what to do. Um, we kind of felt like we'd failed the community as well as um, the project, um, the people funding the project. And um, yeah, eventually we were kind of able to pivot and go to a different community to get the responses, but we thought that it would be really um, useful to write this paper just because of the experience that we went through, especially, um, which would be especially useful to share for early career researchers, knowing that things do go wrong. And I think Paris and I were really lucky because we had uh, really supportive um, senior researchers with us and they kind of helped us through the process. I think we helped them through the process a little bit. And uh, yeah, I guess we just wanted to um, share the lessons with, with other people. <laughs> yeah, and I think your position as early career researcher, as both of you will, will come to you in a moment, um, Paris, is, is significant because it's all very well for people like me to talk about our failures when, well, yeah, Mark, how many papers have you got? That's fine. You can fail. <laughs> but uh, but failing when this is my PhD, uh, this is uh, was going to be uh, my, my that, that first uh, pivotal paper where we were going to make this massive contribution. This was going to be career defining for me. And now it's not. 
And I think what I what I really like about your 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 response to this was that that you didn't just have yourself in mind. This was the community that you felt like you were failing. And I think there's a there's a unique added dimension to this when you're doing participatory research, where there, there is this moral dimension. You're not just doing this to get a paper, to get a PhD, uh, to, to 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 secure your career. You're doing this for the people that you want to serve. And so I, I wonder, uh, Paris, if you could tell us a little bit more about, um, so so what was the kind of the moment when you realized this is not going to work? So you're trying to, to do these surveys. Um, why why couldn't you get uh, a sample? Um, and, and tell me a little bit more about that decision to pivot. So first yeah, of, of all, course. Paris, over to um, you. Explain who you are to start with. Sorry, do introduce yeah. yourself, please. <laughs> No problem. Um, yeah, so I am Paris. Um, like Ruby, I'm an early career researcher as well. Um, I'm currently doing my PhD at ANU at the Centre for Public Awareness of Science on knowledge co-production. Um, but I've got a few years doing, a couple of years doing kind of participatory research as well. So um, during my honours thesis, my honours thesis last year, I did um, community surveys in a remote Australian town as well. Um yeah, and I'm based down here in beautiful Hobart. Um, so back to the question. So I guess the moment we realised, so Ruby and I, um, as well as Chris and Ingrid, the two senior researchers, um, were doing a lot of the surveying as you do in participatory research in you know places where there's higher foot traffic, so like malls and things like that, um, beaches. And, um, yeah, we just weren't getting the surveys that we needed um, for kind of data saturation. Um and it was maybe after a couple of days that we realized that, yeah, we were, I guess, failing and yeah, we weren't going to get the data that we needed for the project. Um, so the first day, I think we had no surveys completed despite standing out there for a few hours, which was, yeah, for Ruby and I, pretty, <laughs> pretty tough to deal with, especially, you know, I'd done surveys before and I'd hit, you know, 20, 30 in one day and yeah, to all of a sudden, um, not be able to talk to many people was quite challenging to deal with and yeah I guess as we'll speak about later feeling pretty guilty about it as well that we were you know letting the team down the project and the community as well um so yeah we kind of sat down and um oh sorry I guess some of the reasons why we failed as well um we were doing it as I mentioned in kind of malls and things like that um and it was during COVID-19 so there was you know, additional challenges doing participatory research with that. So things like, you know, we were wearing masks, um, which made it more difficult to kind of build that rapport and trust with community as well. Um, yeah, there was some hesitancy to talk to people, understandably as well. Um, and yeah, just, you know, reasons beyond our control why um, I guess we were dealing with some of these challenges. Um, so yeah, some of the things as Ruby mentioned, we did to kind of adapt and pivot was, um, we added on another research location. Um, we also, um, and Chris and Ingrid kind of led this was look at other ways to engage with the community. So things like focus groups at a later date, um, yeah, to kind of, I guess, overcome the failure and the challenges that we were experiencing. Yeah, great. So uh, things beyond your control, and uh, and so often that is the case, uh, which is why it feels so unfair. Yeah, why me? Why why this project? Uh, this time in COVID, and 
And I think there'll be many people listening who have had um, their own unique COVID fails where there are just things that they were meant to be doing that they couldn't do because they couldn't travel or whatever it might be. Um, and and really difficult in terms of just that sense of, of unfairness. I, I totally get that. Um, so so writing this up as a paper, um, so so Ruby, you said that this is it was partly just so that you could share this with um, with, with other early career researchers, but of course uh, others like me reading this as well, and and learning a lot from this. Um, and, and and for me, I think one of the things that I really liked about this as a paper was the way in which you had sat down, codified this, looked at the literature on this, and and it turns out there's a really rich literature and there's some theory, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was just fascinating getting to engage with that. Um, and I think that as a more senior researcher, it's quite easy to just kind of figure, oh, it will be all right. <laughs> uh, we've we've had to pivot in the past, and and you kind of almost instinctively kind of have a list of options in your head and lessons of, of things that you've learned in the past. In fact, just yesterday, I was talking to a team who've got a project in uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Republic of Congo, Peru, and Indonesia, and. And yeah, we've just got massive problems with uh, with communication, with people saying they'll do things, not doing them, and then, and, well, actually, it turns out they've had no power for the last however many weeks or whatever it is. Uh, okay, so no power means no internet. That's why. And how do we communicate with these people? And yeah, and and I, and I can see my, my my early career colleagues really worried, and I'm just like, yeah, we'll we'll be fine, and and we'll we'll we're gonna work it out. But uh, but I think just looking at this and codifying this, yeah, actually there are really clear lessons um, that, that come out of, of this paper. Um, and so I want to come on to some of those lessons in a moment um, and you know, ask you to, to share some of, both of you, some of the, you know, the key nuggets, the, the things that you found most useful. But before I do that, I'm guessing that there, there must have been a, quite a few barriers to actually writing a paper like this. And I wonder, did anyone at any point warn you off doing this? Uh, talking about failure, a lot of people are quite sensitive about this. I think this is a bad idea. This is bad strategy. Don't do this. Don't kill your career, for example. I've had people ask me to remove tweets. Well, universities, my employers asked me to remove tweets in the past, and it's only whenever I've been talking about failure. My employer does not like me talking about my, my failures. And so I wondered, have you have you been warned off this? Um, uh, and even if you haven't, I wonder were there any more kind of internal psychological barriers you had to overcome to be able to actually codify and write this down and share these uh, these stories in the form of a paper ruby um yeah sure i mean i think we were pretty lucky we had a again a very supportive um senior research team and they were the ones that led this uh and created a very safe environment for us uh so there weren't really any external pressures not to write the paper um but at least for me I know that there was a few more internal um barriers this was my first paper so it definitely crossed my mind thinking that my first paper would be about failure um seemed <laughs> like a, a pretty strange uh thing to do and also um the way we wrote it we we each wrote a vignette um, about our experiences and yeah it was a pretty vulnerable exercise um, we shared our emotions and reactions and kind of 
our personal uh, journey, I suppose. Um, so it was a little bit scary. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess we just thought it was something worth writing about and also knowing that it's pretty normal um, to go through all of these things as well. So uh, sharing it, you know, isn't that scary, really. <laughs> with the with the right kind of team behind you, yeah, I totally get that. Um, but but you overcame that 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 kind of internal barrier. What what was it? Was there something that you kind of said to yourself that made you say, yeah, you know what? That might not look how some people might want to uh, to, to see their careers in terms of uh, my first paper. But but actually, yeah, it's worth it for these reasons. What 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 was it that helped you to get over that that barrier? Um, I think probably it was a little bit about, have you said that academic culture, I suppose, wanting to um, oppose that a little bit of that idea of the perfect academic and only sharing your successes. Um, it seemed like a good thing to do to, you know, share that we're all human. And I think we learnt so much through the process learning from the senior researchers and realising that they were also human um, and, you know, they felt safe to share their emotions with us so it didn't seem as scary a step um, to do the same and share it with mm. the broader academic community. Yeah, I love it. And I wonder, I mean, uh, if you go back to, if you listen and go back to your first paper, um, is, is there some kind of implicit manifesto in, in your in your first paper? My first paper was ultimately about impact, uh, although we didn't realise it at the time. Um, and, and what a manifesto, if this is a manifesto, who knows, uh, Ruby, but to, to say, yeah, I'm different. I'm not going with that flow. Uh, I'm a critical thinker. Uh, yeah, things happen, but, uh, but I stand back from this. I'm able to stand back from this, detach myself from it, uh, and critically analyze what, what's happened and draw lessons from this. Um, and uh, and yeah, in terms of uh, taking a, an original and different path uh, and, uh, and doing so in a way that, that is imbued with, with this level of critical thinking, um, yeah, that's, that, that sounds like a great manifesto to me. <laughs> I hope so. We'll see what happens, but yeah. So, Ruby, you mentioned these uh, vignettes, um, and Paris. I wonder if you could um, share a little bit about your vignette and um, and some of the lessons that emerged from that. Um, I really like this as an idea because uh, each of the, the, the four researchers on the paper uh, shared. Uh, the story from their perspective and um and and talking to you both in the team um as to the earlier career researchers uh, there is this unique perspective that you have uh, as early career researchers um, uh, on these lessons um and i wonder yeah can you tell us uh, some of your favorite lessons from the paper and uh, and where they came from in terms of your own experiences of the project yeah, definitely. Um, so I think, I guess, it's important to first acknowledge that Ruby and I were pretty, and speaking on behalf of Ruby as well here, but we were pretty lucky that, you know, we were able to fail in, you know, it sounds silly, but kind of a safe space where we had Chris and Ingrid, the senior researchers there, as well as, you know, external support and kind of peer networks to support us through this failure, um, which leads me to kind of, yeah, the first, I guess, 
big lesson that I took away from this experience was, you know, being able to have a team of people that you're working with in the field um, and out of the field as well that you can call on and that you trust um, and that can kind of create an environment where we felt comfortable being vulnerable um, and kind of sharing this. And so part of the reason why we wrote those vignettes was, you know, we had this conversation um, towards the end of the trip and after the trip on the way home. Um, where we shared, you know, we ran around and we shared how we were feeling and, you know, how it made us feel. And we realised that there was a lot of overlap between all of us where, you know, we were feeling things like guilt and, you know, frustration um, at ourselves as well as others. And, um, yeah, kind of going through the motions of processing these things um, was quite cathartic to do as a team. And then later on in writing these vignettes individually as well. And I personally, I found it quite, confronting to have to sit down and write about failure um and kind of how it made me feel um so yeah that was one of the big things I think is having that space with other people in your team to talk about these things and that yeah you can be vulnerable with um and I think another one for a kind of us as early career researchers was um and it's something that I touched on in the vignette as well was kind of going into it with that open communication or that, you know, able to openly communicate with the others in the research team. Um, and part of that is, you know, having clear expectations. So um, the first day, as I mentioned earlier, when Ruby and I were surveying, we felt guilty not getting enough surveys. And, you know, once we got back and we kind of chatted with Chris and Ingrid about it, they were like, oh, no, you know, these things happen. We'll try again the next day. Here's how we can kind of pivot and do something different. And even though they didn't necessarily work out, being able to kind of, yeah, have those expectations is really important. Um, yeah, anything else, Ruby, to add? Um, yeah, I think the the best or lesson for me was um, having, as Paris said, everyone being really open um, and acknowledging and sharing their feelings when we were there and also afterwards um it was just really great to see these researchers which we both respect a lot um Chris and Ingrid and seeing them as people who have achieved so much and you know are great scientists they still feel guilty they still get imposter syndrome um you know kind of still have these emotions and you can be both things at once um you can still be a great scientist and um fail or you can still be a great scientist and um get frustrated so you don't have to be this kind of perfect academic um and also you know debriefing as well with the group afterwards was really good and it we took the time to reflect and that was really important, kind of a, a big lesson as well, um, reflecting on what exactly was it that went wrong, um, what was our role in the failure, you know, taking responsibility and moving through the emotions as well so that we can figure out what we learnt, um, kind of also how you can salvage uh, the field trip and the, the data that you did collect. Yeah, there is always a plan B and a plan C. Uh, it's as big as your imagination, but uh, in the moment, it doesn't feel like that. Um, uh, and I think one of the things that, well, I think two things strike me. The, the first um, is just 
this this message around debt expectations because I, I think that um, most more senior researchers have had enough of their own failures that they expect things to go wrong from the outset. Um, uh, and so when it does go wrong, they're not expected. They're, they're not. Um, uh, they're not surprised, and um, and, and they maybe even been thinking of the plan B right from the beginning. Um, but I think by contrast, uh, most uh, early career researchers come in, they make a plan, and you just assume, well, of course, this is going to work. And part of the reason you assume, well, of course, it's going to work, is well, look at my supervisor, look at these other researchers who've made it. All I can see are their successes. Uh, I see the paper at the end, which doesn't actually explain everything that, that went disastrously wrong. Um, so I was just sharing with my team yesterday to, to try and reassure them. Uh, we had this uh, million pound project that it was really high stakes. It was my ever my first ever major project. I was project manager on it. And, um, and we made uh, an appointment uh, of a non-UK researcher, which we didn't think would matter. <laughs> and then we had this disastrous meeting where we were six months into the project. And, um, and our, our, the, the main researcher who was doing the modeling said, oh, I've just realized that Heather is a plant. I've been trying to work out who this person, Heather, is on the team the whole time. Uh, and she was meant to be modeling moorlands, which are dominated by the species of, of plant called Heather. And at that point, I realized we are doomed. We, we cannot. I mean, if, if that's the point we're at at six months, then this is never going to happen. And so it was a pivot from a modeling project. This was, at its heart, a modeling project to, we're going to do a bunch of qualitative research kind of um, uh, workshops and come up with some qualitative scenarios and uh, look, look back at our papers you would have no idea it was like it was always planned to be like this <laughs> there's not a lot of modeling in there but <laughs> but yeah you you would never know and so so I think just adjusting expectations but then helping especially early career colleagues to realize yeah it's not going to necessarily go how you expect and then to just normalize uh, so that we don't idolize uh, people who have gone before us as well, of course, yeah, if, if only it could work as well as it did for him or her, it didn't. <laughs> and actually, the more that we talk about our failures, the more we realize, yeah, this, this is the, the nature of, of, this, uh, of this pathway. But I think the second thing that you've spoken about that we might want to maybe dive into a little bit more depth is, is this idea of of being vulnerable and uh, and and creating the space to actually talk about how we feel, uh, including these negative feelings of frustration and guilt and and, and failure, just yeah. And it's not just a matter of making time which I think is an important thing. Uh, we've just done, say, an online focus group. Uh, and great, time is up, everyone hangs up. And, uh, and actually, no, we've now made an hour afterwards for the team to do the debrief. And we're going to go around and get every single person to talk about how they're feeling. But actually, you know what? I'm not going to talk about how I feel if you're the kind of person who I feel is perfect or is going to judge me. Uh, and there's there's something about the, the kind of environment that you need to create. And I wonder, um, to what extent, I mean, you've, you've spoken about how Chris and Ingrid created that environment, but 
there's there's something about how you two are both coming across just now that suggests that this is just as much co-created by you in terms of uh, your uh, willingness to be vulnerable, but uh, the way in which you uh, then responded to these challenges uh, and and led uh, by your own example in this team to, to to create an environment in which you could cohese as a team uh, rather than kind of split up. So, uh, tell me a bit more about how that 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 team environment was created and and what you feel perhaps your role might have been in that. Um, I can start off. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, it really helped that um, we went into that, you know, I guess went into the field with um, existing relationships. So we'd already had that trust built between, um, I guess, not so much the four of us, the three of us. So Ruby and I actually only met on the trip. And since then, um, we've become quite good friends, whether or not we bonded through our failure or <laughs> just doing field work as is inevitable. Um, but yeah, so I knew Chris and Ingrid, uh, for about, yeah, about a year and a half before going into it. And so I had built that relationship, working relationship and the trust as well. And so I think through that, I personally felt comfortable being vulnerable with them. Um, and I think Ruby and I were chatting about this today, actually, Ingrid was, um, we remember the first person to kind of come forward and say how she felt after, um, some of the interactions and after some of the surveying, which, um, you know, as an ECR, even with those existing relationships and trust, being kind of negative about something that just happened or frustrated um, probably wouldn't have been the first way that I had reacted to it. Um, but again, having a senior researcher create that space first, I think really helped for us to have that conversation. Um, and having the kind of, yeah, I guess, more informal um not relationship and interactions afterwards as well. So being able to sit down afterwards over a cup of coffee and talk about these things as well, um, I think personally made me more comfortable sharing how I was feeling and processing with guilt and frustration and yeah, things like that. Yeah, I yeah, wonder. I they were. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Carry on. No, go for it, Ruby. Uh, as I say, I think um, yeah, Chris and Ingrid were quite deliberate in the way that they created space and um you know also I think in the paper um this is included that checking in with each other was a really important part of our field work you know it's quite an intense time whether you experience a failure or not um so we would always sit together have dinner and debrief about the day and check in with each other and um yeah kind of taking that step to also check in with the senior researchers to ask how they were feeling um was an important thing as well because we just don't want to just don't want to assume that everyone's okay because they have 20 years experience um yeah, so it was kind of creating that more deliberate space and making sure that we did sit down and debrief and talk about things, um, whether or not things went right or wrong for the day. Mm. Yeah, and I, mean, I guess not everyone's as, as fortunate as, as you guys having uh, the whole team in the field, uh, so you can go for dinner and um, and debrief on that daily basis. And uh, and I wonder, 
uh, maybe we can just uh, brainstorm a few ideas for people who are doing, say, remote field work. Uh, I'm all by myself. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I see my supervisor once a month and that's it. Uh, she or he is just too busy to, to see me. I, I don't have the privilege of being able to, to, to debrief uh, on that kind of regular basis. Um, uh, so, so I don't know if you've got any, I've got a few ideas, but I don't know what, what, what can we say to people who, who are not in quite such a fortunate position in terms of, of their team? How can you create that for yourself effectively? Yeah, definitely. I think especially as ECRs, it's yeah, very common for you to either go out in the field by yourself or go out in the field with, you know, another research assistant or early career researcher and not have the kind of senior researchers there to, I guess, take the responsibility and the lead and the pressure off you as an early career researcher, whether that's dealing with the failure, whether that's being able to pivot and, you know, knowing how some of the processes, financial processes work to be able to pivot resources um, to change the field work or um, whatever the case may be. But I think, you know, having the conversations before you go out in the field with your supervisor is really important. So, you know, setting those clear expectations and talking to them about what they expect. And um, another big one for me is having those, you know, I guess, whether it's a peer support network, so someone who knows the project or knows the nature of participatory research. Um, so not necessarily a supervisor, but someone who understands it, um, as well as, you know, just friends and family who you can chat to and talk through how you're feeling and, yeah, kind of seek comfort in what you're trying to do, I think is really important. Yeah, that, that kind of comfort, the ability to be vulnerable, it can come in lots of different places, shapes, sizes, uh, just uh, phoning home to a partner um, and yeah, crying. Yeah, this was, uh, it was, I, I feel humiliated, whatever it might be, uh, just being able to express that if, if that's uh, if that's what it is. Um, uh, but um yeah, it could be others in a, in a, in a cohort of PhD students that, that you're in, that, that you create that support network for yourself. Um, I know uh, some supervisors have many super, many PhD students um, who all kind of then form a team and support each other and help each other in that way. Um, uh, but whether that's going to ready made or not, you can do that. It could be a coach, for example. Uh, uh, but also that preparation, and that comes back to this this point that we made before about expectations. Um, I was very fortunate when I did my uh, undergraduate that we were all told uh, before you go into the field, it was by undergraduate, it was tropical environmental science. Um, it was before mobile phones. Um, so there was no way of getting back in touch with any supervisors at any point. And we were all told you have to go with a plan B and a plan C because it will almost inevitably not work. Um, uh, and, uh, and a bunch of people went and the plan A, plan B and plan C didn't work. But that cognitive process of just uh, with our supervisors working out, well, if that doesn't work, then what do you do? And then it was like, yeah, I had my supervisor in my head going, yeah, and that didn't work either. So now what do I do? And that sense of, well, there must be a plan D somewhere if I can just imagine it. <laughs> um, so, so I think there are lots of things we can we can do. Um, so uh, coming to the end here, and uh, I'm wondering how this has reframed how you define and deal with failure more broadly, because of course we fail in every aspect of life, it's just part of being human. Um, and I wonder how has this experience shaped your perceptions? Um, uh, maybe Ruby, can I come to, to you first on this? 
Sure, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, going through um, the fieldwork experience and, and especially uh, doing lots of reflection through writing this paper has just reinforced um, failures, I guess, as a, a real learning experience and um, an opportunity to uh, reflect a little bit more about you know, how and why you're doing science, um, whether there are things that you need to do, need to do differently um, and making sure that you do create that space for reflection, hopefully before um, something else fails. But even if it does, again, um, creating the space for reflection afterwards. But also I think for us, Again, having that great support and the example of Chris and Ingrid um, in the fieldwork, knowing that it's okay to feel all of these emotions um, and then you can kind of go that, acknowledge those and then move on and figure out something different. Um, it'll Something will work out, I suppose, <laughs> is um, a lesson that, I definitely learned and, and failure is just something in the middle. Um, it's not the be all and end all. It's not going to ruin your career or anything. Um, and yeah, and sharing your failures can only help other people as well. Yeah, what, what I hear, Ruby, is a real courage that has come out of this that, that I think is, is incredibly powerful because when we are terrified of failure, we play safe. We don't take any kind of risks. And actually, to, to come up with the biggest ideas that might make the biggest impact, you often need to take a few risks. And and it sounds to, to me that, 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 yeah, you're going into your career now with a completely different mindset that is not all about playing safe in case something goes wrong, because, yeah, you know what, it will. And that's fine. <laughs> uh, so powerful. Uh, amazing. So, Paris, over to you. Um, yeah, I guess just reiterating what Ruby said, like it kind of created, yeah, the space for us to grow as researchers and scientists. Um, and we're very fortunate to be able to, I guess, experience this so early on in our career. So we can take these lessons to, you know, share it with our peers. But also, you know, if we continue down the track and become supervisors of other students, being able to share, you know, that our first papers were about failure. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, being able to share that with others and, share with others that your failures don't define you and that you know if you fail there's always a plan b there's always a plan c and I think before this project I would have thought that if I failed it would be the be all and end all as a scientist and an early career researcher but yeah it's it's not and you don't have to be perfect working in academia and I think that's really important I guess for people to acknowledge and recognize to I guess improve the the very success-driven culture of academia as it is now. Yeah, I think there is a lot of perfectionism out there. And um, and I think especially 
some disciplines more than others, um, but that sense that yeah, this has to be exactly right and everything has to be perfect. And if it's not, then it, it's not just a, fa- a kind of a failure of of my science; it's a moral failure. Uh, and I think that if that is our attitude, then then yeah, you do get just paralysed. Well, yeah, I just keep polishing, and I'm not going to share this with anyone until this is exactly exactly right. Um, and that's not how you learn. Um, at, at any point in your career, you need to be able to share drafts, get feedback from uh, from from your co-authors and and such like so i wonder any final messages for for people listening to this um the the, the broader context of this uh, is i guess a bit of a mission uh, this idea that uh, that this is not just an internal learning process for you although i think um, that i've actually learned just as much from hearing that internal process as, as i did from from reading the paper but uh, but there is this this broader normative goal of normalizing failure, which is in the title of uh, of your paper. Um, uh, and so whether it's just some personal advice based on on your own experience, um, uh, Ruby, I'll, I'll come to you first if that's okay. Uh, or this is is more about that that broader mission. Uh, what what advice do you have for people listening to this who want to go from this to do something, do something different? Um, hmm. I don't know, I guess it's that typical thing of um, saying that there's strength in vulnerability um, and I suppose maybe that's part of our mission <laughs> um, in writing this paper um, is to encourage others to also, you know, talk about failures, write about them, um, build networks of people that you can be vulnerable with um and yeah you can kind of share these things and still be supported and still um do great things but uh i don't know it can only it can only make things better if if everyone is a little bit more vulnerable about the things that go wrong and the mistakes they make and how they learn from them yeah totally yeah uh, certainly part of my mission on this podcast so yeah I could not agree more Paris yeah I think reiterating what Ruby said and as well like I guess seeing failure as a learning experience so not just failing and then moving on to the next project really facing what went wrong and being you know critical in yourself and your work and being reflexive and look at you know how you could improve and how you can do better next time and um, you know, hopefully not fail next time, but yeah, really learning from those failures and yeah. Um, and I guess for supervisors as well, kind of, as we've mentioned, Ingrid and Chris did a really great job of creating space for us as ECRs to talk about it and um, to be vulnerable. And I think that's really important as well. Yeah. Yeah. So important. So uh, go and uh, and find some space, uh, find someone to uh, to talk to about the things that are not going entirely according to plan. Um, and uh, and yeah, who knows? Maybe you uh, are also able to to reframe uh, the not according to plan as ah, maybe it's a new plan, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and yeah, take this. 
in a way that can be more transformational, not only to your work, but to your perception of failure. It just remains for me to say thank you. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you, Paris. It has been a real privilege getting this uh, kind of under the bonnet, uh, behind the scenes look to this paper, to your lived experience of this. And I wish you the very, very best of success in the next stage of this project. Enjoy. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you.